0: How's it going, everybody? This is the Dead Just Productions podcast, episode number 153. We're three episodes away from the three-year anniversary. I'm your host, Joshua J. Moskers. Special guest this week, John, creator of the Gray Matter, an Acid Horror Anthology podcast. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I am uh, I'm very excited to be here.
0: I appreciate it. I actually said it correctly. I didn't stumble over my words. I'm, I'm proud of myself.
1: Yes, it's it gives people <laughs> trouble. It's a long name, but uh, you got to get horror anthology in there so it shows up when people Google that. So, yeah. you know, it's it's a
0: mess. At least it wasn't alliterative. Then I would have really just butchered <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I, I I a lot of times in the narration in the show, I use a lot of alliteration, and any of my narrators get <laughs> not really mad at me, but they just, like, get halfway through and start stumbling, and they go, like, ah. <laughs> All right, let me take that again. <laughs> and I'm always like, I'm sorry. Yeah.
0: Oh, man. So yeah, thank you for being here. appreciate it. Why don't you tell people a little bit about your show and, and what you do?
1: Absolutely. So, uh, Grey Matter, an acid horror anthology podcast. Uh, basically, I'm taking the kind of uh, classic form of horror anthology from stuff like Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits, really the like the old bastions of the genre. Uh, and kind of updating that to the more kind of '80s tone of like uh, John Carpenter and David Cronenberg kind of movies. Mm-hmm. So it's got some body horror, it's got some uh, cosmic horror, it's got some gothic kind of flavor in there. Because uh, the other thing that I do, uh, in addition to additional, uh, in addition to original episodes, now I'm stumbling, is uh, adapt classic weird fiction stories from authors like H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Allan Poe, Arthur Machen, basically any of the people that were writing uh, horror stuff in the late 1800s, early 1900s, I will probably adapt one of their stories sooner or later.
0: Nice. We've, uh...
1: Uh, and it's, so it's, it's a uh, narration and also it is uh, fully acted scenes. So it's kind of a halfway point between uh, like a halfway point between an audio book and a full cast audio drama. So hopefully that is uh it's a form that people have, have, uh, it's not a form that I've seen done before, so I'm hoping that it works as well as I think it's working. And it seems like the audience is pretty receptive to it as well. Nice.
0: Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I've always enjoyed like horror things like that. I think I saw your post and I was like, awesome. Kind of reach out. I, like yeah, I said, before we started recording, I like the uh, the theme you've gone with with your, uh, your artwork. Where it's like an old VHS style box cover.
1: Yeah, each of, the, each of the episode thumbnails have uh, art that was done, and then we put it inside this kind of VHS template. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, uh, it, it was really important to me to uh, maintain that feeling of – now that video stores don't exist, you don't get this feeling anymore. But the feeling of just walking down an aisle in a video store and just seeing – covers and titles and seeing the weird art and just being like, I don't know what this is. I really want to find out what it is. (laughs) And you know, there's something, there's something lost in the age of streaming Mm -hmm. where you don't get that same feeling of like walking through the physical space and and picking something off the shelf and being like, I've never heard of this. I have no idea what it is. Let's watch it. Let's find out, you know? So I wanted to really maintain that feeling through the show.
0: Nice. I I like the aesthetic. I like the themes. All good stuff. What, what led you to do a podcast as opposed to a different format, say like YouTube or something of that nature?
1: Well, so I started out um, as a filmmaker. I I do short films. I haven't done one in a while, just because of both COVID and just because they're very expensive. Um, But essentially, you know, I'm also a short story author. I've had some of those published, but basically I just really wanted to kind of get back into more of the like, more of the produced. I wanted to work with actors again. I've just been writing for a Mm -hmm. long time and it's to me, podcasting, I think uh, there's an intimacy to the form, the way that you can kind of uh, get right into people's like kind of past their safeties, past those, the, the boundaries that they put up with other people. Mm -hmm. You can kind of tell stories just you to them without kind of having to get past like you know, with movies, you're watching them with a crowd. So you kind of have that crowd mood that goes with you. But with podcasting, it's very just individual. So I felt like there was a real opportunity to tell kind of intimate stories um, using the kind of horror tropes that I love that are very like bizarre and operatic and kind of big. Um, But centering all of that through individual narrators for each episode that have, you know, a lot of these people are driven by one singular conflict. So you can kind of explore that conflict. You can explore all these horror tropes and you can do it in a way that is very intimate to the listener, uh, from the episodes themselves. Nice.
0: You mentioned like how, uh, it's an intimate setting, uh, for, I think it is for both the, the creator of the show as well as the listener. I know it's, it's interesting for me, like the complete tonal shift when there's been a number of episodes. I'll, Less than 10, but there's been a number of episodes I've done solo, uh, whether Mm. it be just because of like scheduling issues where the guest pulls out last minute or it's like, all right, I don't really want to do a a guest show. It's like a, you know, I just for whatever reason, like my schedule is messed up with family issues or whatever. And they're completely different from the normal shows where it's a lot more laid back and just goofy as opposed to where it's just me. And I'm just like, all right, this is going to be me venting for like 45 minutes. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I'm just talking, so I got to make it seem like it's important a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just I think, too, like usually in those situations, the reason I'm doing a solo show is because something has happened leading me to like have my schedule like suddenly adjusted. And so I have right, like an, sure. a more serious topic to talk about uh, right. more often than not. Sometimes it is just like a scheduling issue with the guest or whatever, and it just happens to be like a last minute thing where it's like, oh, crap, well, I have to record an episode. Um, but yeah it, it's interesting
1: yeah. like podcasting is such an interesting medium because like like what you do versus what I do are very opposite ends of the spectrum but they both work through audio in different ways mm-hmm. like the the more conversational end is is so much like uh, in in a uh, non-judgmental way it's kind of the parasocial relationship like you're mm-hmm. you're connecting to people that are strangers to you and I think there's something really beautiful about that and then with the more constructed like storytelling end of, of podcasting, I feel like you still have that uh, intimacy, but you, you have, uh, you can kind of thread in some interesting things and some complicated, weird things in a way that it would be bizarre to just bring up in conversation, you know?
0: Yes, for sure. That, especially in our early episodes, I think we touched on this in the last episode we recorded, like our early episodes, we were still kind of finding our groove as far as like, Not necessarily topic wise specifically, but just like how far we were willing to push things on the show, Uh, like how ridiculous we're willing to be. And I thought like in a lot of cases, I feel like a lot of people are like, all right, we'll tone it back a little bit. You know, you get sponsors you want to cut back or or in some cases, you know, it's like, all right, let's push the boundaries a bit more. We have some more leeway here. We're more established. We've toned it back so far. Like our first number mm-hmm. of episodes were just filthy garbage. And it's like, ooh. <laughs> sure. Ooh. I don't want to revisit well, that. Well,
1: that's and that's the thing, is is it's such a, a hard line to walk too, because like uh, you know, this is Gray Matter is a horror show, so I very mm-hmm. much want to push the boundaries of um of horror and and kind of grotesquery, but I don't want it to seem tasteless either. Yeah. So I'll have like I have body horror as a as a ongoing theme. Mm-hmm. Um and with that, it's always really hard to go like, okay, I'm trying to creep people out. I'm not just trying to disgust them. Like disgust isn't, isn't bad necessarily in horror. You should do that some, but you don't want that to be your primary mode of engagement with your audience. You want it to be engaging Mm -hmm. to their brain, to their heart. And then if you can't do either of those, then to the stomach effectively.
0: That makes me think of like, uh, was it the terrifier movies? Have you seen those?
1: oh yeah I've seen the first one i, I okay. st- eventually I will watch the second I'm not really in a huge rush to do so
0: yeah we, my girlfriend I, I think my girlfriend watched it with me the first one and I was like oh okay and then the, the second one came out within the last within the last year at least I don't remember when and I just hear like stories of, like oh it's t- it's horrific people are like throwing up and I'm like I've never been in a scenario where something was so like like I've watched like a, a movie where it was so grotesque or whatever that was like vomiting Or even like nauseous to any extent. So it's like, to me, that seems like a marketing thing to an extent, but I don't know. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think the the kind of stuff that makes me like, to me, that's part of the appeal of like body horror specifically, Mm -hmm. as opposed to the more like slasher kind of vibe that the Terrifier is going for. Is like, to me, people getting like cut up and stuff is never really like it's frightening in a certain way, but Mm -hmm. I think. The difference between something like Terrifier and something with body horror, like the Cronenberg style of body horror, is there's there's a real sense of the like the psychological destruction and the bodily destruction going together. And I think that's something that slashers don't really focus on. Like, Mm -hmm. to me, the most upsetting thing to, to do in a slasher would be somebody is horribly injured and then you have to deal with that and they have to deal with that. For the remainder of the film, essentially, yeah. like to me, the slasher, you get to a point where you just go, all right, I'm done with this character. I've gotten kind of bored. Let's just kill him off and move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And to me, I want to like kind of not luxuriate in that pain exactly, but I want to explore that and kind of uh, feel the edges of that feeling and, and kind of get mm-hmm. at the the experience of suffering. You know,
0: I've never seen the movies. Is that sort of what Pinhead is like or is that also more grotesque just? Uh well it,
1: yeah Hellraiser's kind of a blend between the two because it's definitely going for gross out but it's it's like that one is kind of going uh sort of erotic with it too like that's the okay. more erotic end of body horror Interesting Whereas like um I tend to be drawn to I mean I love the Hellraiser movies but I tend to be drawn to the more um the like catharsis of bodily destruction side of body horror which is much more the the david cronenberg like the fly uh video drone okay. those are the two big ones for me that are that are very much um they're not trying to titillate you with bodily destruction they're trying to make you consider what it means for your body to change and does that change your mind and you know it's, it's getting at it very psychologically
0: yeah
1: even though they still have kind of exploitation movie roots in certain ways
0: mm-hmm. okay yeah. It, I mean, this is not a horror film example, but like an example I, I was going to I thought of while we were talking about this is uh, I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones guy. I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan. And uh,
1: I yeah, I'm a little bit not a ton. I haven't I'm not like adverse to spoilers or anything. My, my wife is much more into it than I am. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm much more of a horror and sci fi guy than I'm yeah. a fantasy guy. Basically,
0: Well, there's a scene where one of the main characters gets his hand cut off and it's there's violence throughout the series. You know, it's a fantasy world you know people are getting cut up and whatever but it right. just the way it's done where it's like it's so integral and you don't expect a main character to have that happen like main characters die yeah but it's like you, they just chop it his hand comes up and he the way he lifts his arm and it just shows like his hand is gone and like the guttural right. like scream it's like oh this is like this is brutal way more so than like right you know just a generic like oh this guy got cut in half in a battle or whatever you know what i mean it's just like right yeah sudden it stands out the way it was done
1: well, that's the that's the kind of like uh, fictionalized violence that I find interesting because it is like th- that very much is that similar kind of vibe. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this. These are probably kind of deep cut horror stuff, but uh, stuff like Deep Red, any of the Italian giallo horror from the uh, 70s. They're, they're very like gory and <laughs> yeah, they're 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 very much focused on the like on sudden extreme violence in ways hmm. that are very like kind of primally upsetting whereas like in a slasher movie somebody's going to get stabbed to death or cut up or whatever Mm -hmm. but in a giallo film someone's going to get stabbed and it's going to be like an incredibly super close really tense really intimate form of violence of the Mm -hmm. you know you're going to get a super close-up of the knife going in you're going to see them like struggling they're like fingernails grasping at the at the cut you know you're going to have those those real little details of it that that make it really upsetting
0: it's like the scene in Saving Private Ryan where he's fighting, the American soldier's fighting with the German and he slowly sticks oh, yeah. the knife in. So it made me think of, Ugh. obviously, again, not yeah, a horror that film, but it's fantastic. that. It reminds me of what you're saying where you get the close up and it's just a slow, very personal. Right. Sort of. One.
1: Yes. That's, and well, that's the style of horror that I find like most effective, like mm-hmm. personally. And that's the kind of horror that I'm, that I'm kind of trying to get across with this show is that, like, that feeling of, uh, when you deal with like when you hurt yourself in small ways and you get that like feeling of like that, like almost sick to your stomach feeling of like, Oh, that could have been much worse. Mm. Like if you cut yourself a little, but you could have cut yourself a lot. Like that's the kind of feeling that I kind of want to dive in and explore is that, that feeling of like, Oh, at any point, any of us, our lives could be irrevocably changed by some horrible, sudden violent thing. And what do you do with that? How do you psychologically deal with that? How do you just physically and logistically continue living your life? How? What does it mean about what we are as human beings that that kind of thing can happen to us and fully change our personalities through dealing with it?
0: Nice. Yeah, and then you also mentioned, like, obviously, H.P. Lovecraft and stuff. Are there – I can think of, like, one off the top of my head, but, like like, current, like, films, TV shows, things like that that are – particularly inspired by that i guess is it american gods is that the one my main correct i
1: uh that's a that's a neil gaiman show oh that okay okay yeah. um i'm trying to think There's that one one's of- a little more on the like fantasy end of the like the weird fiction spectrum but that's definitely weird fiction
0: okay yeah um it,
1: it's tough with lovecraft specifically because he was so prolific that pretty much every horror author since has kind of <laughs> ripped him off in one way or another and that's not again not to shit on them for doing so that's that's part of the deal like that's mm-hmm. All, all art is a mosaic. All art is collage. You have to take from the people that came before, you know, that's, that's how anything works. Yeah. Um, but Lovecraft, especially, he kind of popularized the idea of cosmic horror, the idea of like mm-hmm. looking up at the sky and realizing how small you are. And that being the primary feeling that he was kind of trying to drive at with his stories. And I mean, Stephen King uses that mood a lot. There's so many different things that use that, the, the cosmic horror tone. Yeah. Um, any of the the horror films from um, Benson and Moorhead, the guys that did the Moon Knight TV show, they have a couple of cosmic mm-hmm. horror films as well, um, Endless and Resolution, uh, that are very good in that in that similar kind of vibe. Um, but it, it's really tough because L- Lovecraft was you know a hundred years ago now, so there's been all that time for his. All of his mood to be pillaged, all of his stuff to be kind of taken and integrated. So it's really hard to kind of pull him out from any of the modern stuff.
0: <laughs> there's a, a film called Underwater with Kirsten Stewart. That was oh yes, yeah,
1: very Lovecraft. Well, less Lovecraft in in mood than it is in Lovecraft in uh, monster type. I yeah. guess is the best way to put that. But
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a. But
1: I I love a creature feature that I, I quite enjoyed that movie.
0: It was an interesting film. I don't, I can't remember all like the major plot points. I mean, I, I know the overarching story, but like I can't remember how often they actually show like creatures or anything in that. I don't remember if it's actually very often at all.
1: There's a couple of sequences of it from what I remember, because it's also been a bit since I've seen it. Yeah. But um, the, that giant monster at the end of it, that is essentially H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's Cthulhu. Yeah. Just uh, not called that. You know, I mean, I guess they've probably called it that in, you know, behind the scenes or in interviews or whatever, but I guess there are scenes where like a smaller
0: movie. versions or something are attacking them when they're in like a tunnel, like a access tunnel or something, whatever it was.
1: Oh yeah. With the fish that like, they like have the huge mouths and they're like dangling from the ceiling. Yeah. There's I, the bit where she gets eaten briefly.
0: I can't remember that film very well at all. If I'm being honest, I just remember that yeah, being the one only things to, I remember yeah. Yeah,
1: it, it's. I remember a couple of sequences and a couple of characters and then nothing else.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I I like the idea of the film. Like, I like the uh, Cthulhu in general. Like, I like the idea of it. Right. I don't know. I mean, I I, I have not investigated as much as I could have. But, like, films featuring that uh, as, like, the monster in, in general. I can't really think of a lot of them.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting because, like, Lovecraft... Well, let me just give you a general vibe on the kind of stuff that Lovecraft, when people have adapted Lovecraft in non-direct ways. So like um, John Carpenter's The Thing, obviously Mm -hmm. an incredible film, a masterpiece. To my eyes, one of the best horror movies ever made. Um, The uh, novel that that was based on, Who Goes There, is essentially, at least in some ways, an homage to Lovecraft, Um, the guy that wrote that campbell um, was actually published in weird tales alongside lovecraft hmm. and who goes there came out like less than a decade after lovecraft's at the mountains of madness okay. um which essentially is where the idea of the kind of amorphous uh shape-shifting monster thing kind of started with uh lovecraft's idea of the shoggoth okay. uh which in his is kind of a um it's kind of a a Organic tool created by a race of aliens, whereas uh, Carpenter's thing makes it much more just. I don't know. This thing is here, and it's not great, and people are kind of dealing with it and, in different bad varieties of bad ways. No one can psychologically deal with it. It's a whole mess. But
0: <laughs> yeah, that movie's good. Like, I I'm so I've mentioned it before on the show here. I'm so like hit or miss on horror films in general. I feel like it. it there's a fine line between it's like a slow burn where they use the horror elements effectively until it's just like goofy almost. Right. Like, a- it's,
1: it's, it's interesting. Cause I'm like, I'm kind of a snob and kind of not at all a snob because I'll, I'll watch anything that's horror mm-hmm. and, and I'll enjoy a lot of stuff that I know objectively is, is not put together put terribly well or is yeah. poorly acted or poorly directed or poorly written. But, there's also really specific things where if a movie does them, I'm just like, all right, I'm 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 good with this. I don't think I <laughs> yeah. I'll keep watching it, but I'm not going to be happy about it.
0: Because like a lot of times when I'm watching, like you mentioned, like slasher films where I feel like there's a point where it it goes from being like a, a horror film to a uh, lower tier action film. where it's like, all right, now we got to deal with right. the problem. And it's just like, oh, OK, there's no horror to this anymore. You've shown the monster off too much to the point or like whatever, you know, the, the slasher, whatever it is the threat Mm -hmm. has been shown off too much to the point where it's not terrifying anymore. It's just, Oh, okay. This is, it's just an enemy to be fought, which is
1: right. That's well, that's one of the things that keeps me away from slashers is exactly that feeling. Cause at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, like, it's just going to be a guy with a theme and a guy with a theme isn't necessarily a bad thing. There there's interesting themes that, that the killers can have. Yeah. But to me, like, I find creature features much more fascinating because even once the mystery is gone, you're still like observing quote unquote an animal you're still looking at the like you're still figuring out like oh how would you survive fighting a bear how do you survive Mm -hmm. fighting the creature from the black lagoon they're very similar questions in a strange sort of way so i can still kind of connect to it and find it interesting on that level even once i've seen the suit which creature from the black lagoon suit is one of the best suits ever made for uh for film but you know, there's I've watched plenty of creature features where the suit is terrible and I'm still fascinated <laughs> by it once it's fully on screen and lit very nicely.
0: Yeah, the, my go to example in like a horror film that I absolutely love until they, in my opinion, like I, I hate the ending for it because I feel like it removes all mystery about it and any suspense is Insidious, the first one, where yeah. it is a slow burn the entire film. You're trying to figure out what's going on. You know, they're they're trying to solve the problem. And then it's like at the, you know, you have moments where it's like, oh, you're seeing things in the back. You see like a shadow person. Then he's in the room. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of all the various fans You have like the portrait behind him and you have like the red and black like demon face in it briefly. And it's like, right. this is this is creepy. But they're just giving you flashes of of, you know, that sinister aura throughout. But then at the end, he goes into like a spirit realm or however you want to describe it as. And he just yeah, really they almost, call it
1: like the further or something, don't they? Yeah, I don't
0: remember. Yeah, it's been. A but he basically thing. has like a fist fight with the demon. I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. I'm like, what? Well, this has gone off the rail. Like, I liked it better when it was like um like a terrifying like mystery as to what they were up against. And now it's like, oh, he's literally just fighting this thing and like trying to run away with it.
1: <laughs> it it's really tough to make people shaped threats in horror movies, yeah. not eventually devolve into just like fighting on the floor. Like you're in a bar fight. <laughs> like it's, it's really tough. Whereas again, whereas with monsters to me, there's a lot more variety that you can do. Cause you could do like, Oh, we got to trick the thing into like running into this thing. That'll make something mm-hmm. collapse on it. Or, you know, we got to find a way to get out of here before it, it gets us where it can kind of change the goal from, Oh, I just got to beat up this guy now yeah. <laughs> to, to something much more interesting and much more dynamic, you know?
0: I, I don't think I would have hated that sequence entirely either if it had just turned into, oh my God, the thing is, like, they don't show it so directly, even. Right. Just like, all right, now he's running with his son to get out of there, and then they show the thing in full right as he escapes or something, or he doesn't get away, sure. whatever. But, like, when it's literally just, like, there's a part where he's fighting it in, like, a brightly lit hallway. I'm like, this is... It just a, it was a weird way to view it. It took away any any sense of mystique from it, and like yeah, said, it loses it, it,
1: some momentum certainly. Yeah, which uh, like I don't you know said, if you it the Conjuring roll the bar right. fight. <laughs> Yeah, exactly the um the Conjuring movies from James Wan, also from James Wan. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like get that balance a little bit better, where okay. it feels like the the resolutions to those ones. Are at least a little bit more mystical, but definitely that the first Insidious for sure feels like they didn't know how to end it. So they're like, yeah. ah, well, whatever, <laughs> just go out there and film something. The stunt guys have been working; they're very proud of this. <laughs> just let them do
0: it. I love the the majority of that film. I really love it. Yeah. I just that ending, just the the complete shift in tone, just takes me out of it every single time, and I, I want right. to enjoy it. I'm just like, ah, oh, man, this. Have you seen
1: uh, have you seen Malignant also from James Wan? Because that one has a a tonal shift that that is like a glorious, hilarious tonal shift rather than a like a deflationary (laughs) tonal shift. Malignant.
0: Okay, I'll look into this.
1: It's uh, it is a a crazy, (laughs) crazy movie, but it it essentially starts as one kind of horror and then becomes very different (laughs) as it goes. It is uh it has some wildness
0: to it. Oh, it's on HBO Max. I can watch it there. Oh, it's on like everything. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I'll check that out.
1: Nice. Yeah, it's uh it, you'll in the first like half hour, you'll be like, oh, I don't think I'm gonna enjoy this. And then as it goes, it'll it'll either fully get you on board or fully lose you at a certain point, <laughs> And you'll know exactly when that point is.
0: Yeah, nothing bothers me more than a movie that is a is close to being good or great and then loses me i would rather it just be bad yes. the entire time or great the entire time because if it's bad the entire time i will yeah. just sit there making fun of it and that's perfectly fine as well right but it, when it's like great most of the time and then bad at the end i'm like ah It just hurts more.
1: (laughs) Yeah, That really is the worst feeling is like when you're halfway through and you're like, Oh, I don't think they're going to stick the landing on this. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and you just have that and you just have to sit in that feeling until eventually they either do stick it or don't stick it. And you're like, Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's to me, the joy of cinema should be not thinking too much about the thing as you're watching it. And then only after being like, Oh yeah, that was pretty good pacing. Or I really connected that character. Like you shouldn't think about the, the, uh, the raw materials and the way the parts are put together. Until after you're out of the actual experience, you know.
0: We watched a film recently the other night called Bullet Train with Brad Pitt. Oh, how was that? I actually really enjoyed it. I I went into it uh, being told like, yeah, it's a good film. It's, you know, not over the top complicated. It's relatively straightforward. Mm -hmm. And I'd heard relatively good things about it. I don't think it did well in the box office. But I don't think people, like I myself included, I don't think people understood what it was or what the point of it was. Right. But I enjoyed it and I feel like that was a film that was like consistent throughout where, you, you know, the entire film, it's like, all right, it's not overly convoluted. You know, the plot is just exactly what it seems like it is for the most part. You know, there's twists and stuff, but it's not like, you know, taking you in and out of it. It's it's just a consistent film throughout and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I wish more films were able to do that. I feel like a lot of films like they, they just try and put too much into it as far as like deeper meanings and, you know, different narrative twists. And it's like, it doesn't have to be overly complicated to be entertaining. Right.
1: I, well, it, it, there's a storytelling economy that I feel like Hollywood used to have a lot more that has kind of been lost. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know if it was blockbusters that did it exactly, but it does feel like there, there came a point where now it's okay for movies to be like 30 minutes too long and to have a lot of plot threads that don't go anywhere mm-hmm. or like character arcs that don't resolve. And I, I just like, like, I still can enjoy those movies on a certain level, but it does frustrate me when I can look at like, uh, well, the example coming to mind, cause we talked about it earlier, the thing, mm-hmm. it's an incredibly economical story. Yeah. It has a lot of characters, but you get just enough of each of them that you understand what their vibe is. Mm-hmm. And then as the thing goes, like you, you understand the conflicts, the conflicts are all very clear, concise. The themes all become very apparent through the dialogue. It feels like it was actually constructed, not just kind of put together it's an it, hour and you know, 49 and, and minutes, I feel like so it's yeah
0: reasonable like it, it length
1: does not work. waste any time at all
0: I, I I swear and I I'm probably completely wrong but I swear growing up like as a kid most movies were right around an hour and a half to an hour and 40 minutes and like two hours was considered a very long movie I feel like yeah I mean I haven't been to the theater that often lately but like any movie coming out nowadays it's like two hours two and a half hours I'm like I don't have all the time in the world to sit here and watch some of these films. It, and
1: and it's, I, I love a long movie like, um, like the good, the bad, and the ugly Lawrence of Arabia, seven samurai, like those kinds of like epics. But yeah. when you give me a movie that should have been, that should have been a hundred minutes and instead it's like 140, mm-hmm. I, I don't need that. Like, that's just going to make me not enjoy your movie. Like you gotta be, you gotta be economical about your storytelling. You, you gotta know how long a story should be.
0: Cause like, Oh, let me, I want to look this up. Uh, What is it? Like, I look back, uh, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Those are considered extremely long movies in general. Right. That one is two hours, 58 minutes. Right. So, obviously, a long movie, under three hours. People think mm-hmm. of those as being extremely long movies. The new Avatar movie that's coming out, well, by the time this episode comes out, it out, comes out on the 16th here. So, it's out by now. Mm-hmm. That's three right. hours and 10 minutes long. <sighs> The, the original one was two hours and 41 minutes. Nobody really commented on the runtime of that. That's as long as the Lord of the Rings movies, essentially. Um, right. And,
1: well, and that's and that's so punishing, too. Like, bring back intermissions if you're going to have movies that long. Did they? Like, let movies be an all-day affair. Like, that's fine. But... I, don't,
0: mm-hmm. I don't remember the last movie that came out that they had intermissions in. I remember them having it in, like, I don't remember. It, like, one, some of the Harry Potter movies I went to with my parents as a kid had intermissions. I don't think those are oh, terribly really? long movies.
1: No, not really. Huh. But yeah, especially like James Cameron of all people, like you got to know that your movie is about water. You have to know people are going to need a bathroom break in there. <laughs> you you can't have a 3-in three 3-hour-and-change three movie about water and not expect people to need to pee. Like it's just going to happen.
0: Yeah, it I don't know. It we watched the first Avatar movie a week or two ago. My girlfriend had never seen it. And mm-hmm. I we her going into I'm like my personal opinion, it was okay. I don't think it was, I think it gets bashed on a lot where people talk about yeah. being like such a subpar movie. It just made, it happened to make a bunch of money. I was like, I don't think it's a subpar movie. I think it's entertaining right. enough. The technology at that time was very impressive and it was entertaining. That was my take on it. And we watched it and I was like, okay, visually it holds up relatively well. It's obviously, it's been like 10 years or something. I don't even remember.
1: Right. Things have
0: developed a lot. Yeah. So I'm not going to hold that against it. But I'm like, OK, mm-hmm. the movie was still like, eh. I didn't realize how many stereotypical like uh, like one liners they had in there. You have like the big main like yeah. military guy just throwing out generic one liners the entire time you have. Uh, oh, I can't remember the woman's name, uh, the one actress, uh, d- 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 Michelle Rodriguez, uh,
1: Sigourney Weaver. Or- Sigourney oh, Weaver's yes. Name, yeah. Yeah, Michelle right. Rodriguez.
0: She's throwing out one liners the whole time. I'm like, oh, OK, so the dialogue doesn't it, it hold does- up super well at times. <laughs>
1: it does feel like a movie that they forgot to write or like forgot to finish writing where they wrote the outline and then were like, Oh, and then, then they'll say something like, uh, uh, he's right behind me, isn't he? And then yeah. they just wrote that in, you know, like they didn't really think about how much they wanted to develop the actual characters. Mm-hmm. They just kind of put them on the page and hoped that it would translate.
0: Yeah. And then, like I said, the new one's coming out and I'm like, I just, I'll wait until it's on like HBO or like, available to yeah watch i'm film. not
1: going to the theater for that thing
0: it's they got their the movie's not even out yet we're recording this on the 13th so it doesn't come out for three days it's already nominated for best drama picture apparently at the golden globe sure i'm just like how does this ha- like nope the audience hasn't seen it how do you nominate a film that right a general audience hasn't even seen yet and the, ex- the explanation i was given was well there's pre-release screenings I'm like okay but that's not a general audience those are like industry insiders. Like it.
1: And it's it's tough too because like it, there is a degree to which betting against James Cameron as a director is is like a fool's errand because
0: I'm sure when the first
1: point. avatar came out don't get
0: me wrong yeah I'm it was
1: sure like, like uh, yeah like it's it it's just it really is it is hard to not look at the way that it's been treated pre-release and go like so we're all just going to accept that this thing's going to be a masterpiece or what? Like should we watch
0: it first? Like Yeah, I'm sure it's a great film. Uh at least yeah. good. Mm. I I do think like a lot like it's still overhyped in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. I I see it ever like I don't we don't watch TV. I watch the World Cup. It's the only time I get ads is watching the FIFA World Cup. Mm. It's going on right now. I I haven't seen commercials for it on there uh, very much. But like we have uh, Amazon devices, like we have the the show, and there's ads on mm. there constantly, just cycling through like the the main screen for the new Avatar movie. I see ads for all over the internet, and I'm just like, okay, they're going hard on the the promotion of this film. Okay, I mean they spent like two billion dollars filming, and, and yeah. it. So I think it's they, been like
1: twelve years since they made the well, last I think, one. I think <laughs> they got to get that energy back. I think they
0: made the second and third ones at the same time which is why the budget mm. was a lot higher than people expected it to be. So oh, they're sure. they're already invested in three of them. I think they filmed two and three at the same time and the beginning of the fourth one, but mm. they're holding out because if the second one doesn't do very well, they're going to end it at the third one and just mix it together <laughs> right, with the sure. fourth one is what I read.
1: It, yeah. It's crazy. Like, James Cameron is the guy that made aliens and made Terminator and Terminator two. Like it's crazy that that guy still is at a place where he's done enough weird things with these last two movies yeah. where I don't trust him somehow, where I'm like, you can't wait 10, 10 years between movies and a series. Like he's made the it. It's just enough little red flags. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still, it's- and, and I'm sure the new one's also going to be, and it's, it's crazy to me that like, Any other director that tried to do that, um, Mm. Hollywood and any studio would be like, just get out of here. But it's James Cameron. So you're just going to give him the money and you're just going to sit back and go like, well, at the end of the day, he might make a movie that'll make more money than any movie ever. So
0: just let him go. James Cameron is to filmmaking what NASA is to space travel, where it's like, "Okay, you've had plenty of accomplishments. You've done what you said you want to do. I'm still not getting in the rocket ship because it could go wrong. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's weird, like everyone doubt, like myself included to an extent. Uh like they doubt like how good this film was gonna be. But nobody sits here complaining about M. Night Shyamalan going out and making films all the time. It's like how, right, many, yeah. how many times has he put out a film where everyone's just like, ugh. And it's just like, <laughs> all right, next, give him another film. Did you see old? <laughs> no, I I heard I I, I, I no middle ground. I heard good things ironically. and terrible things.
1: It that was one of those movies where, like we were talking about earlier of it being like, it's not bad enough and it's not good enough. It's just mm-hmm. kind of in the middle. There are some some moments that are really good. The the, the premise is good, but the, I feel like a the lot comic of it, the that it's the films are from, good though. Yeah. It's, he he like almost gets it where he (laughs) understands that that like he's trying to do twilight zone style setups Uh, but he doesn't quite know how to land that plane and like at the end of old the last like 20 minutes is just nonsense
0: (laughs) he needs someone there that that is only good at like wrapping up films just helping him stick the landing every time
1: yeah he just i think he just needs a writer like he's a guy that uh, it's crazy to me that he can have as much success as he has. Mm-hmm. And um, I understand why he would trust his own sensibilities with his movies. But when the constant, when there's the same critiques of his movies over and over, yeah. you'd think he would go, okay, I can't be trusted on this. Let me bring another writer in, see what they think of this script. See if we can get it, you know, cut a little bit out, get it a little bit ticking, like see if we can change around the ending a little bit. Like it feels like the the time for dialing in, was a couple of movies ago. And I I don't know that he's, I don't know that he's internalized that that's something he should be doing or not.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Do you remember when they tried to hide his involvement with the Will Smith and his son's film After Earth? Oh, yeah. They didn't include his name in any of the marketing at all. At no point did they mention him. And then at the end of the film, it says like, you know, with M. Night Shyamalan, I forget how they they listed him. It's like, oh, right. Oh, this all makes sense now.
1: (laughs) Well, that one, that one breaks my heart because the, apparently the original script for that one was just a, like a normal set in the present drama about a kid and his dad that get in a car accident. And the kid (laughs) has to go for help. And the monster that's after him is just a bear. And I was like, that sounds great.
0: Give me that movie,
1: even with the same cast. That that sounds sounds much better.
0: Will Smith having a team come up with a a fake accent that Melds all languages together, oh, and then they yeah. can't maintain it the entire time because it's not a real accent.
1: <laughs> well, and like who in an exact same M Night Shyamalan style, like how has no one told you this with yeah. Will Smith? I just want to be like, your whole thing is your charisma. Yeah. Why are you playing a guy who's a stern dad? A stern like, that's, dad there's nothing that in that part in for you to play. <laughs> there's nothing for you to play in that part, Will. Like, how do you not get this? don't you know your appeal you you made so much money
0: what is my selling point people like my high energy enthusiasm all right what kind of character should I play a guy that literally has no emotions okay good perfect.
1: (laughs) (laughs) and who's very mean to his son who's trying very hard
0: yeah it's just like oh man that's what
1: people will like about me
0: (laughs) yeah it's like uh, Gallagher being like all right what do people love watching me smash watermelons what should I do calmly (laughs) eat the watermelon got it (laughs)
1: I kind of respect that one though, because be that's funny. that's like he knows what they want, and he's like, "No, I'm not going to give it
0: to you." Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I don't know. We'll see then. Anyway, Back to the, mm-hmm. I, I kind of went off on a tangent there. Back to the, we'll circle back to the. Oh one no, one. it was a fun tangent. Yeah. So. <laughs> 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 so like uh, you, you mentioned working with people uh, and doing a lot of like the writing and stuff and things like that. How do you approach like writing in general? I I always. I love talking to people about writing cuz I I do a lot of writing and it's just a, a disaster of me trying to figure out how to put words on the page.
1: <laughs> right. Well, it's it's tough because like I mean, I've always been I've always been a reader and I've always watched everything. Mm-hmm. So to me I I absorbed so much of like story structure and character arcs and stuff without understanding that I was doing it and then there came a certain point where I was like why am I not like getting the results that I want and then I was like oh because my formal skills are not really up to snuff like I haven't like read books about writing I haven't learned that style I've just I've just seen that style and imitated it and that'll get you somewhere but it won't get you all the way like you need you need the the energy and the chaos of raw creativity but then you need to treat it um, like a sculptor, you, you have to really make it have solid form and you have to have both of those parts or your thing just goes, you lose control of it. And, and you just can't, um, you don't tell the story that you think you're telling, Mm -hmm. uh, no matter how good it turns out, because you just don't, you need to be able to direct that energy in a very specific way and down very specific avenues.
0: Hmm. Yeah. My, my writing style is, the equivalent of taking a bucket of paint and throwing it up against the wall and seeing what happens.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's a style too. For some artists, that works. That does not work for me. (laughs) I
0: have talked about, this with so many people on this show, where it's just like, I have an idea of what I want to work on, but I get so caught up in the overarching nonsense that it just distracts me from the key focal points where it's like, all right, right, this is a story. I have the general idea of what I want to do. All right but what's the, the flora and the fauna of the area? Like what's, what is you know, what's, the, what are the trees like in this area? What's the weather? Like? And I'm just like, I get so caught up in the world building that I just don't write anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is really tough. Like that's, that's definitely something. W- one of the things that drew me to uh, anthology mm. uh, as well is just that I, with an overarching story like that, I get so in the weeds on those kinds of very specific things. Like, And I spend entirely too much time thinking of that exact kind of stuff of, you know, describing the weather for a page and a half. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is not I am not Dickens. This should not be this long. Like, this is not we got to cut all this. So there's a degree to which I've just landed on uh, anthology because it's it to me, it feels like it teaches. It has taught me storytelling economy where I know exactly what I need. I know exactly how long it should stay before it overstays its welcome. And I just kind of have gotten a feel for this as I've been working on like this show or short stories or any number of different things mm-hmm. that have all kind of taught me the same lesson in different ways.
0: I could probably write a geography book on the types of locales in the world I've created and just like, I, I went on a thing the one day where I'm just sitting there and I'm like, all right, this area is like a swampy area. And I just went on a tangent on like what the mud was like, I'm just, it's not even sure. like I'm writing like you know, plot wise, I'm, I'm literally just sitting here right. filling out like a, a notebook of like information, and it's just like what I, I sat down, I finished writing, I'm like i hey, like, what am I doing? <laughs> it's like, which <laughs> like, like that, that stuff happen.
1: I find very meditative, but it, it's, it you is know, it's there is a
0: degree to which so relaxing. Like a character's just
1: gonna step on it, then you just whatever. Yeah, you know?
0: <laughs> it's super relaxing, and I, I thoroughly enjoy it. But oh my god, it's such a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah that's the nice thing is i always do that with monsters where i'll like uh like i don't know if you've seen tremors but that kind of creature feature where over the course of the story the characters like get to a kind of examine in a taxonomic zoological way a weird monster that doesn't exist yeah so like for me i, I like have that when i have that desire to just go real detailed on something i'll just go oh, I had that idea about uh, this kind of monster. Let me just develop that for a while. Let me see what I can do with this. And then I kind of match, because I use a lot of creature feature stuff, I'll make monsters and I'll try and figure out a story that fits them, or I'll figure out a main character conflict and I'll go, okay, what's a monstrous way that I can identify and explore those feelings within that character?
0: Yeah, Yeah, I I remember watching that film. That came out before I was born. And I remember Mm -hmm. sitting, we were over at my, before my parent, my uh, my mom and my stepdad were married. Uh, we're ever at his place, and I'm just sitting downstairs in the downstairs living room watching this film, and uh, I'm like, I probably shouldn't be watching this. I'm like <laughs> six,
1: <laughs> right?
0: But yeah, stuff like that. Like it's it's interesting watching uh like older horror films compared to to newer ones and seeing the approach they take with like monster design and things like that. Like even, yeah, definitely. I feel like in some cases the detail is it, like some of the older ones are more detailed, even though they might look goofier. Like just the practical effects wise is is a lot more detailed at times. Like look at the uh, like the xenomorphs from the Alien series. Like oh the, god yeah, the design in particular is super fascinating. But like they're like yeah, it's I I, I think
1: I think creature features now uh, it's tough because there have been some really good ones recently that I don't want to lump in with this, but Mm. there are ones where it feels like no one designed the creature until they were done shooting. And that to me is, is a huge sin to do in a creature feature. The, if you're doing a creature feature or a monster movie or of any of that kind of stuff, if you're throwing back to, to fifties horror or eighties horror or whatever, you have to write with the monster in mind. You have to know what that monster looks like. At least the, the enough of the sketches of it, you know, you have to know the details before you get, anywhere near filming you have to write with that in mind you you this idea that that um people use computers and cgi for everything and there's a degree to which that's good but it also makes it so you have producers that go well we don't have to think about any of that we'll just let the computer guy figure it out mm-hmm. and the computer guy is like 800 people that are being severely underpaid in a, a sound a, a special effects house yeah uh that that are like we can do this but you really should have had a suit on the set when you did this we can't make it weighty in the way that it needs to be like we're not gonna make it look like jaws we can't yeah. do that
0: yeah like it's, it is interesting especially the way they use like the practical effect like jaws like i've uh i remember we went on the the jaws ride when we went down to the was it universal i guess i forget which Argument. Yeah, I think that's universal. Yeah, uh, when I was a kid, and I was like, "This just looks goofy," but in the film, it's like, "Oh, right, this looks cool." And it's just the the way they utilize the camera angles and like the the quick cuts and just the shaky cam and everything like that. Like it's interesting to watch how they make something that would otherwise be kind of silly look a bit more realistic and ferocious than it otherwise might be.
1: Right, definitely. Well, that's the the um example I always go to with with like the ideal for creature features is creature from the black lagoon because the suit is so good. They shoot it so well, they build such tension before you ever see the suit. Mm -hmm. And it just comes across as a believable animal on screen in a way that is, that is still, if not frightening because of the, the grammar of film from that time, it still is effective and you still see it as, as much of a legitimate character as the, the actual like people characters in that movie are, Mm -hmm. it still reads to you as a creature and that's something that i feel like um has been lost with the the advent of cgi with monster design yeah. is they don't they don't always have that weight and they don't always have that texture like the the like there's like a blubberiness there's like a a the scaliness all that kind of really specific texture stuff they look too clean sometimes gets lost at yeah exactly
0: like there's no yeah, none of that detail too.
1: work that makes them that makes them feel like actual
0: animals mm-hmm. yeah they're, they're shiny a lot of times i notice it's yes, yeah. Like I, I said like the the original Jurassic Park film, it's you can tell it's still dated, but yeah, it still holds up relatively well can all things considered, the practical effects on like the raptors and stuff like that. Like it looks cool. Absolutely. And then you see like the modern ones, and I'm like, this is not gonna look very good in a couple of years. Like it Yeah. They I, look I think so much
1: of it is is just different. the they don't light it like it's really there. They light it like they're going to pump up all the contrast and make it really colorful. And like animals are colorful, but they're colorful in a very specific way. And Mm. you have to like take that into consideration without doing a lot of lighting tests, without really thinking about the way that the audience is going to see your creature, you lose so much of that. And then just exporting that to, to uh, CGI artists, who are incredibly talented people, but if they don't know what you want and if you didn't get them any reference material with which to, to make those things, hmm. they have no idea. They're just going to do the, the best that they can. And that's still ends up good sometimes, but you know, you got to have a hand on the wheel as a director of your film. You have to have some idea of what you're doing and be able to carry that idea through to the end product.
0: And they used uh, a blend of practical effects and CGI in the original Jurassic Park, but it, like I said, it just, it, I don't know why they don't. Like, I I don't know if it's a cost thing, but I feel like CGI would be more expensive because you're outsourcing that for, to, for people to design for the newer ones. Like, you'd think they, like, especially for close up shots, is where the CGI looks really bad when people are directly touching and interacting with the CGI right. uh, dinosaurs. And I know that they, a lot of times, like, for, I could be wrong. If I remember correctly, seen behind the scenes stuff for the new Jurassic world ones. Like they have people there wearing like rap, like when they're actually like filming on the green screen, everything they have people there wearing Raptor, like, you know, outfits or whatever. Like there's a guy sitting there with like a Raptor head or something. But then when they, it goes to film, they CGI it so much that it just doesn't look right. It's like, Oh, he's touching a computer generated creature.
1: Yeah, it really kills me because like, I, I think what it is is just that studios, like obviously every day that you're filming, every day you're in production on a film is incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. And I think because that's um, that's more like built into the budget and, and like when you add a, a shooting day because you go, well, we got to add a day or two for the effects. We got to make sure the servos and the creature are working right. We got to get this, this one certain shot that we need all this specific prep for. I think a lot of studio heads or producers just go, uh, who cares? Just put it in the computer. It's not going to make any difference. Just let the computer guys handle it. And when you look at that versus, um, like Jurassic park, the original has the way that they design the shots is to accentuate parts of the the suits. Mm -hmm. The way that they design the animatronics is knowing what shots they're going to be placed in. And you have to have that sense of it. You have to have that craft, um, I understand that people want the versatility that CGI provides, but having the limitations on you also breeds creativity. And I think it's, it's important to the feeling and the kind of steady handedness of your film.
0: Yeah. It's like, I I pulled up a picture here comparing the original Jurassic park Raptors versus the new ones. The old ones look better. The new ones are, like I said, they look shiny and I don't understand why it's like, like it shouldn't be perfectly like sparkling and shiny like it's a dinosaur it should be gritty it's in the dirt
1: yes yeah it needs to have dirt and hair and little like little bits of stuff on it you know Mm -hmm. like it needs that texture
0: yeah it kind of goes back to what we were saying before about like uh it, it turning from a horror aspect to like a a bar fight like in the original ones right it was these are just wild animals essentially right you know they yes it was they weren't having showdowns with the raptors and the t-rex and stuff it's like these are wild animals you know we're woefully outmatched by them we just have to survive and the new ones yes and like, they will
1: maul you in a second
0: yeah. and then you have the, the new ones where it's like he's literally having a showdown with a raptor on top of a mansion it's like what the heck like yeah <laughs> i was just like uh, i didn't even uh. see the newest one we were just like whatever we, we saw the the Jurassic world. It, yeah. Cause we're like, all right, we'll see it, what this it is. It thumbs like,
1: me yeah. out. The, Jurassic park is such a, like a sad franchise for me now, because to me, all you need to do with that is just give me a story somewhere in the world mm-hmm. where like, if you're going to have the thing be that dinosaurs have kind of proliferated, uh, proliferated everywhere. Yeah. They're like in regular natural settings now. Cool. Just give me a story where like, uh, there's a hurricane on this, on this specific coastal Island, and uh, there's dinosaurs that are there and they break out of the zoo enclosure, whatever. And now you got to survive the hurricane. Well, you got to survive whatever the dinosaurs are. Yep. Like, Just give me like a $10 million, real intense, real small scale, kind of a, a, a tension pot boiler. And it just feels like they just keep going bigger and bigger and bigger in ways that make it feel like it matters way less every right. time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. There's no heart in the new ones. It's just- yeah. CGI mess. Like I said, it's like, why it, it's so weird to me that they try and make the dinosaurs out to be villains. It's like they're, they're wild animals. They're not villains. Right. They're not evil. Like,
1: yes. Yeah. They're just animals. They will kill you. Sure. But yeah. they might just lose interest and leave too. Yeah. You yeah. don't know. They're an animal.
0: <laughs> it's just like, it like, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, I, I feel like they didn't understand the point of the original film. It's like, yeah, we, we brought right. dinosaurs back from the dead. We, you know, we shouldn't have done this because they're wild animals and they don't fit in today's ecosystem. And they saw that right. film and were like, got it. Dinosaurs are evil and want to kill people. It's like, No, no. <laughs> yes.
1: Dinosaurs no. are the Joker.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even it's the, like,
1: no, they're not super. I mean, the new raptors even have, the they're like green, lions. The new
0: raptors even have the green eye, you know, paint around their eyes, essentially. That oh, way they, they change them. Ugh. Which
1: it. I all I want is a dinosaur movie where the dinosaurs have feathers too, yeah. because I feel like that could be scary and if you actually like commit to that. <laughs> but Jurassic Park seems to be the only like dinosaur movie on the block lately,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know any other dinosaur themed films. You have uh, Land of the Lost, which came out how many years ago? I don't know, <laughs> uh, I don't really which like, I like that the original a dinosaur show of that, themed. But- film but
1: yeah not so much yeah but i I do like the um the design of the sleeve stack and that though those are fun
0: Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) we watched the will ferrell film it was i forget what it was was on some streaming platform we had nothing else to watch at the time so i told my girlfriend like oh Mm -hmm. we'll watch this i was like this is uh this is a film that they chose to make (laughs) that's my my review
1: (laughs) oh sorry if you hear that beeping oh no
0: you're good yeah, it's, um the actually look. Cool. I, I do like that where it's just they have the weird little like uh I don't even know what you call their hands. Like uh
1: like mo- kind of claw, like flippery, like almost hooves, but with claws. Yeah. Like pure fingernail rather than finger.
0: Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. it's almost like a crab claws, but they're just sharp little hands. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Well, and I like their their mouths too. Like the they kind of have the like little uh like they Have the little like lizard crest kind of thing going on, yeah. They like look vaguely kind of Aztec. Like, I really like the design of the sleeve stack in general.
0: They are interesting, yeah. They did keep the uh original sleeve stack design from like the original series to the, the film, which I was like, all right, cool. And then they did mm-hmm. the, the uh, the thing where it's like uh, they they show them off where they're approaching, like, oh, maybe they're not evil or whatever. And they open their mouth and they have like the the like sharp teeth and then the sharp teeth in the mouth inside of their mouth sort of like the <laughs> yeah. xenomorph aliens. In your mouth. Yeah, right. Oh, these things are terrifying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I really enjoy the original show of, of Land of the Lost as well. I like those, uh, the Croft brothers were the guys that did that and like H.R. Puff and stuff and Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. They had all their monsters were like, big weird mascots and I really like that kind of aesthetic.
0: <laughs> yeah I don't know. I'm trying to think of like modern day uh like monster like notable I like uh monsters in films. Like obviously you have like freddy Krueger. You have Jason Voorhees, I guess. Uh
1: yeah I'm trying to think of what even the most like
0: recent like, I feel like a lot of them are relatively old, like the Friday 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, even the, you know, the aliens. It's like they're not like Predator, like they're not new. I'm trying to think of ones from the last like that came out yeah. in the last 10 years that are notable.
1: Yeah, like as far as horror icons go, I think almost um, Art the Clown from Terrifier is kind of the closest thing to to a modern version of that kind of icon.
0: I guess I wouldn't even call him that well known, though. I feel like that's a really no niche sort of film. <laughs>
1: right yeah <laughs> but he like he like has a um he does feel designed in a way that like the kind of like freddy krueger jason Voorhees, True. michael myers they feel very designed you know
0: yeah yeah it it is interesting I, I didn't think about it until now it's like we don't have like a a modern movie monster like a well-known one because like I've, I, right, a lot yeah, of the ones that are coming man. out are still freddy krueger I mean, they haven't made it right. on Elm Street in a while, but like Jason Voorhees, you know, they made more of those recently. Uh, You still have like, I mean, these aren't quite the same, but you still have like King Kong and Godzilla. Those have been coming out for how many years at this point? Those aren't new. Yeah,
1: right. Which at least the design is changing from movie to movie yeah. on those. So they're still like, because, I, you know, I love kaiju movies, but it, the design gets kind of samey over time so at least at least king kong in these doesn't look like king kong looked in the peter jackson king kong mm-hmm. or you know or the like 30s the, one. Uh, at least they're still updating and changing
0: i did like was it called the uh shin godzilla design oh yeah, yeah that was yeah, pretty yeah. cool i like
1: shin godzilla a lot
0: the tiny little arms it's all like yeah. <laughs> the whole body looks like flaky and kind of weird looking i, I
1: mm-hmm. love the the whole like End of Shin Godzilla too, like the all the weird little almost human ones coming off yeah. his tail. That that thing is so that's like viscerally kind of upsetting.
0: It's yeah, it's it's a super interesting design. I really I really like it. But like you were saying too, even with like King Kong, it doesn't look the same. It's you have like the old version where it's just a monkey or a guy in a suit, <laughs> and you have the Peter Jackson one where you know it's it's a gorilla. But then you have the new one where it's just like a beefy version almost. I don't know how to explain it.
1: Yeah, yeah he's like a Sasquatch kind of. They like they yeah. like broadened his shoulders and kind of lowered his arms. Yeah, it's... He like stands more like a person than he does like an ape.
0: <laughs> yeah, he just puts on a top hat, has his cane. He's like, I'm putting on a show. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, he, he uses tools in these new ones, so he's not that far from Yeah, he
0: has... Is it an axe? Am I remembering that correctly? It's an axe? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, that... Uh, <laughs> That was an interesting film, uh, Godzilla <laughs> King Kong. Uh, we yeah,
1: I I enjoyed it. I I enjoyed um, Godzilla King of the Monsters more than that one though, because that that felt like they um, they focused on the kind of awe and horror okay. that like kaiju should inspire. That feeling mm-hmm. of like looking at a living thing as if it is a natural disaster. Like yeah. that's the kind of vibe that I really like for kaiju stuff.
0: I feel like Godzilla in general has always been seen as more like from my point of view it's always been seen more as a natural disaster monster as opposed to this is just a big monster it's attacking us
1: right well it's godzilla started as as a metaphor for like the bombing of hiroshima and Mm -hmm. atomic power so it it very much started from a place of like similar to a natural disaster but Mm -hmm. a man-made disaster of all of that mass destruction and mass death and and kind of mass trauma yeah. That that Japan explored, and then as that character became popular, they were like, uh, "He's kind of a superhero. He's kind of he's whatever we need him to be now. He's <laughs> he is the mascot of the country now. He's just going to be the thing that everybody knows about Japan."
0: I forget which what year it came out. I saw the with the newer Godzillas. I saw the first one with like Aaron Taylor Johnson mm. or whatever. Where it's, I think it's in San Francisco. I don't. Remember. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I saw that one. I did not see the King of the Monsters one. And we hadn't, oh, you should check it out. We I like had it. not seen the King Kong, which uh, I don't remember which year that first one came out. That's one with, uh, who's it? I don't even know who's in that one.
1: Oh, was that the um, the Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson, Kong Skull Island?
0: Yes, Kong Skull Island. Thank you. Yeah. yeah that I, one's pretty good too. I didn't see that. So we went into this knowing basically nothing about the world that these two monsters were existing in, as, as far right. as the are concerned. And uh, we're watching it, like okay. And then, like like I was saying, it's like I I know very very generally the lore of Godzilla. You know, as far as like some of his sure. you know, like Mothra and Met Godzilla. Like I, I know of these, uh, you know, the foes that he's battled. Uh, and then right. going into I was like, okay, this is interesting. And then you have Kong with like the weird axe that he's powering up, and seeing like <laughs> they
1: made him into like Conan the Barbarian. Yeah,
0: and then seeing I was like, oh, I didn't realize Godzilla could just shoot. Uh, like his breath attack through the earth. It's like, that seems like a bad <laughs> idea. Like it seems like this could be a yeah, huge It seems problem. like that would
1: destroy the planet probably. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do like that. They went full, like weird pulpy sci-fi with that series though, where they're like, yeah, it's kind of Atlantis. There's kind of a hollow earth. Don't worry mm-hmm. about it. It's got kind of a Jules Verne adventure movie vibe. It, did, now. it,
0: it went in a very different direction than we were expecting. I was like, all right, this is interesting. Mm. And then, obviously, you have the ending battle. Uh, Right. I guess I could split how Where they're just, like,
1: pro wrestlers.
0: Yeah. I mean, okay, it came out last year. Um, Yeah, where they're fighting Mechagodzilla. I was like, okay. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that was uh, teased in, like, the previous film that Mechagodzilla was a thing.
1: Uh, (laughs) Not really, no. Uh, The last one, the um, Godzilla King of the Monsters has... Mothra, Rodan, and King Ghidorah in it as the main other ones. So Ghidorah's
0: brain or something, I think, for Mechagodzilla, if I remember, right?
1: Yeah, because one of the heads gets cut off. So they, they use that head to build the uh, Mechagodzilla body around.
0: Okay. Because I, I, I'm trying to remember that, Phil don't, don't they connect to it or something to control Mechagodzilla? I'm trying to remember.
1: Yeah, they do like a psychic connection with another one of the Ghidorah skulls with Dr. Sarazawa's son that Godzilla versus Kong feels like they cut probably 10 or 15 minutes of story out of it. Yeah. <laughs> like real last minute.
0: I'm fine with that. Cause things
1: just happen and it's never explained.
0: I'm fine with that. I don't need a ton of explanation in a, a movie where a bunch of giant monsters are fighting one another. You know, <laughs> right. what, that's what probably what they kind of figured. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, 10, 15 minutes is fine. Then you have films like uh, the justice league where apparently they cut what hours of footage. I'm like, well, that's yeah, probably that, the Have best. you
1: seen the Zack Snyder cut?
0: No, I haven't seen either of them. The Zack Snyder cut is too long. For, I, I'm not a huge superhero film guy to begin with, but mm. I, I'm like, I just, I don't know why people like him so much, if I'm being honest.
1: It's, that movie was one where, or well, it was released as like four, however many chapters, whatever that they did when they released the, the Zack Snyder cut. Mm-hmm. But, It's definitely a better movie than the version of Justice League that got to theaters, but it's still a story that should take that should take like two hours, two and a half max that takes four and change where it it becomes nothing happens in Zack Snyder's Justice League for like 45 minutes. And it's (laughs) I don't know how anyone like I can understand why Warner Brothers executives would look at that and go like, well, we can't release this. I th- The first hour is introducing characters. What are we supposed to do with this, Zach? Like, review, what did you
0: want? The review my friend gave me was the entire film can be summed up as like a scheduling error where it's just them trying to wake yes. up Superman. He wakes up and saves the day immediately. And <laughs> yes. The whole thing is just a showcase on how Superman is just woefully overpowered compared to everyone else.
1: Well, And, I, it and feels apparently like, that's balanced it out feels more like in Sex, the maybe. Snyder
0: Cut from what I've heard. What's Zack Snyder
1: really I don't think understands Superman and the appeal of Superman hmm. because it feels like he just wanted to get rid of him like Batman versus Superman feels like it completely mishandles the character and then to kill Superman off in his second appearance on screen in yeah. your universe and then to start a Justice League and be like, oh man, the whole world's very sad because Superman's dead. I'm <laughs> like, this is not this is not the tone you want to be striking. I, here. I just don't know like, what Justice like League should feel so triumphant. That
0: like when I, when I think back of like what his films have been, there's not a mm. lot of winners. Like he did Dawn of the Dead, which is okay. right? He did right. 300, which I think is overrated. It's an okay film. Sure. It's entertaining. I wouldn't call that a great film though, by any means. He didn't no. Watchmen, which fans of the comics didn't like from what I've heard. And I, I didn't really care. For I, I'm kind
1: of mixed on it because I love the comic and I, I I'm very fond of the movie, but okay. you can definitely tell that Snyder does not, similarly with Superman Snyder is missing the material and mm-hmm. the point that the material is making with Watchmen.
0: I was not like where with Watchmen's comic, r- when we saw it in theaters, my dad was, and he was super disappointed. Oh boy. In the film. <laughs> yeah. Because
1: well, the comic is like, the comic feels like it's condemning the concept of superheroes in a way. It's kind okay. of exploring the, the neuroses that you would need to do this. Mm-hmm. And then Zack Snyder is like, Oh, we're going to glorify it. We're going to have slow-mo fight scenes. And it's like, yeah. that's not really at all what this is.
0: He did. Like, I'm just talking. I'm. I'm only listing off the notable ones that I've heard of. Like Sucker Punch, right. that, that was not a well received film. No. Film. He did Man of Steel. That thing feels like a
1: screensaver.
0: Yeah. He did Man of Steel, which is a no, I guess a notable Superman film at least. People like Henry Cavill. Mm. Um, then he did Batman vs Superman, which we all know how that went over. Uh. Oh, Justice yeah. League, and then he did Zack Snyder's Justice League, and then he did Army of the Dead. Like, I don't know
1: that one, I think, is also like a two and a half hour movie. And I'm like, why would you No, that that's two hours max? You Uh, can't can't just keep adding stuff to it. It's a zombie heist movie. Like, just do the movie you're making and and keep the deleted scenes deleted, please. I don't need them in the film.
0: I, I, I just it's bizarre to me how people are like, release the Snyder Cut. You know, we want to see his true vision. Now you have James Gunn heading like the DC Universe sort of. And they're like, right. oh, how could you get rid of the Snyder's vision? It's like, I don't think he had a vision. I think he just has no concepts. Like, I think he sees things, gets inspired by him, and tries to put them in his films. And, but he has no actual direction. Because his entire and, list of films, there's none here that are like clear cut, like this is a great success of a film.
1: Right. And he, and he has this idea with superheroes specifically. Like, he tried to bring the Watchmen kind of deconstructing vibe to the justice league characters mm-hmm. and he just fundamentally does not understand why people like superman or batman or any of these characters like the zack snyder justice league has scenes that are in a like a post-apocalyptic future where it's like mad max had just oh, come out my the, assumption is he saw the mad happy max. people are dead yeah. like, like, he saw miserable. mad max and was
0: like i want to put that in my film and so he did yeah. and it's like this i just i don't think he's a good director and I don't know why people- No, like, and it's just like
1: relentlessly grim. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Armageddon the Dead was just eh. Like it,
1: Whereas like James Gunn feels like he gets comic books and loves comic books. Sure. Loves the weird goofiness of them. Like yeah. Peacemaker was so good. Su- the Suicide Squad was really good. Like,
0: like I said, I'm not a huge ugh, superhero he understands fan. It. Like of superheroes in general. Like it's just not my, my genre. It's not my cup of tea. I like a lot of James Gunn's mm. work though. Like what he did. I mean- Uh, pull his list back up.
1: Slither. Slither's a great one of his. That's back when he was making like low budget horror stuff.
0: Yeah. Like, uh, come on, IMDb. Let's get this out of here. (laughs) Uh, here we go. Uh, oh, he he did the Tromaville Cafe. I had no idea. Didn't know he worked with them. Oh, yeah. He got to start doing trauma stuff. I didn't realize that. I've I've seen a Mm -hmm. bunch of trauma stuff. I did not realize he was part of that. Uh, yeah he
1: did um, he directed Tromeo and Juliet did he really or wrote it maybe
0: oh, one of those okay I, I only have this I have this uh, filtered out so it's just him directing so maybe that's why it's not appearing
1: oh sure so you might be just writing that one yeah uh,
0: I'll have to look that up that's he did Sergeant Kabuki man <laughs> like,
1: a classic of the genre <laughs> man oh man
0: I had no idea uh, wouldn't uh, call that a fantastic film by any means but it's it's super interesting yeah.
1: Well, and it's it, it's a movie where I'm like, what it was going for, it fully accomplished. Yeah. But like, it, it was Sergeant Kabuki Man. I knew what it was. <laughs> I enjoyed what it was. Like, <laughs>
0: like he did. Gar- his, I would say, his breakout role here is Gardens of the Galaxy, which yeah, definitely. I enjoyed that at least. Mm. I don't know. I don't. I mean, that's a, a relatively well received film, especially considering the like how well known the Gardens of the Galaxy were before that. Nobody knows who they are unless you're. Super into Marvel comics. Yeah.
1: It, it's interesting because like I grew up with superheroes and being a comic reader and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And to me, even the Avengers were like a C-list team. Like the Marvel, the yeah. big Marvel characters from when I was a kid, like Spider-Man, the Hulk and Wolverine. Like those are the big yeah. three. So to me, it's crazy that anyone cares about the Avengers or knows who any of them are. Mm-hmm. Like but especially like Rocket Raccoon is now a thing. Like yeah. the idea that anyone knows who any of the Guardians of the Galaxy characters are is it will never not be incredibly bizarre to me. Like how do people know who Groot is? How is that a thing that, that the mainstream has embraced? I didn't Which I really appreciate about what Marvel's done is they've they've really gotten those those obscure and weirder and more goofy characters onto screen in a way that I did not think was gonna happen.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things I heard was uh, lately some people worried about like with the DC now. Or they're like, oh, you know, he's going to bring all these obscure characters forward instead of focusing on Batman and Superman. So it's like, it's like, I, I, first of all, I highly doubt he's not going to focus on these huge DC characters. Like, I'm sure when they brought him in, like, you need to develop Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, you know, Aquaman, whatever, maybe. But like, you also want them to develop smaller characters. That's how you have a fleshed out universe. Like, their whole thing has been them struggling to keep up with Marvel because they can't get a universe together. They haphazardly rush right into a Justice League. It's like none of these characters are developed going into this film. It's like nobody cares. Yeah. Like I, I would always rather side.
1: have I would always rather have the suicide squad approach of just shotgunning characters at you rather than like having uh like Man of Steel. It's fine. It's mm-hmm. it's got some some pretty glaring flaws in my estimation. <laughs> but like it also feels like a movie that is kind of waiting to catch up with itself. Like it takes like half the movie before you're like, Oh, okay. It's a superhero movie. Yeah. Whereas the suicide squad right off the bat, you're like, Oh, I know what this is. I know what these characters are. I know what their vibe is. Like, even if I don't know who these characters are, I get it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, was, peacemaker, he's a guy with a gun and he thinks he's doing the right thing, but he's kind of a psychopath. Like another you just get the vibe right away.
0: Of suicide squad. The original one. Being, I fell asleep yeah. three times trying to watch that film. Took me three, three it's attempts watch. to get through it. The Suicide Squad comes out. I thoroughly enjoyed that film. It's a fun film. To watch. Oh yeah, way infinitely better than the first one. I love the yes. fact that they killed off a weirder. lot of the original cast right at the start. Yes.
1: <laughs> uh, that was that was like the thing that made me be like, oh, I'm in for a good movie here, is because all the. All the, like, promo material when they were had, like, 30 members of the Suicide Squad. I was like, all right, they better be killing off a ton of these yeah. people.
0: I, I love that they pulled like, it up. Like, yeah, here's the team. Yes. And they're gone. <laughs> we're not... We're they're gonna, done. We're going to keep a couple of the interesting characters that people liked. Everyone else is gone.
1: Yes. Yeah. And Captain Boomerang's gone because maybe Jai Courtney doesn't want to do it anymore or... <laughs> Yeah, because that feels like one that they should have kept because he's goofy in the right way that uh, that James Gunn wants him to be. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I just don't know. It, I, it just continued to shock me how people are just like they're just so interested in Zack Snyder and his vision for DC, and I'm just like I don't get it. I I don't understand why people like him so much. I at no point in time would I've ever have considered him a good director.
1: I think he's a good visual director. I don't think he understands storytelling in the way that he thinks he does. Like, I think he, I think he mistakes, um, dourness for seriousness. And Mm. I think he doesn't understand that, that making something edgelordy is not the same thing as making something adult. You know, I don't yeah. think he gets that distinction, and I think that's probably the worst thing about his his kind of general style is he'll always go for a shock value, like "Ooh, isn't that sad? Don't you hate that?" And I'm like, "Yes, I do. I don't want to watch this now." <laughs> like, you,
0: you, I I, actually, I just have I, no interest I, anymore. Yeah. I I feel like a lot of his films are just vis like tech on a technical aspect. They're visually impressive. I like the way he's filmed. Yeah. The way they look though to me is like there are so many of his films that are just gray and brown, like Sucker yes. Punch, yeah, he has a real problem 300, with 300, you know, Dawn of the Dead, sort of Batman versus Superman, Man of Steel, like just It's like so many is just like bland to an extent. I'm just like, ah. yeah. I don't know.
1: Man of Steel was shot like a nature documentary. It looks, it looks so bland. Like there's nothing going on visually in that movie.
0: I think he, maybe he got feedback Uh, and then went hard in the other direction for Army of the Dead's promotional materials. Sure. But even in the film, it's still kind of bland looking a lot of it. I did enjoy that. It it really is is a missed opportunity. (laughs)
1: Right. I, it's, I'm, I'm very curious what his, that uh, Rebel Moon movie that he's going to be doing, the one that he was going to be doing as a Star Wars film, and oh. now he's just doing it on his own. I'm really curious how that's going to come out.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I I did know a very general bit of information about this, but yeah, it's like a, the description is a young woman seeks out warriors from other planets to fight the tyrannical armies terrorizing her peaceful colony.
1: Yeah, it's, it's essentially like... It's like a Seven Samurai Magnificent Seven movie, but they already did a sci-fi one of those called Battle Beyond the Stars (laughs) that Roger Corman did like way back in the day, which I think is probably going to end up that Rebel Moon will probably end up being less creative and interesting than Battle Beyond the Stars was if I just had to guess just from knowing who's involved. And that really bums me out because it feels like that kind of story you could tell over and over in different settings and make it really interesting.
0: Everything's depressing. And what's the point of trying?
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Maybe we were just put here to suffer. (laughs) 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 Um, Which, like, I I hope that (laughs) very back tangent, like eight tangents ago, uh, that's hopefully gray matter as a show gets across the idea of exploring suffering in a, Humane, non edge lordy way because <laughs> the Zack Snyder approach drives me nuts. But I do want to explore like pain and what it means to us as humans, and you know, all of that kind of there is a lot of good stuff there that you can kind of mine. Yeah. Uh, but I just don't, you know, hopefully people will get away from the Zack Snyder style and embrace much more of a humane kind it's of even more um,
0: bleak. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I'm, I'm picking up what you're laying down. Yeah. Just go because you 130% you can, bleak. <laughs>
1: You can <laughs> you can tell you can tell serious stories without it being the most depressing thing you'll ever see and it's mm-hmm. like there's times for very depressing stuff but you can still have characters that are like interesting and fully like fleshed out and feel lived in you can still have a lot of vibes that that Zack Snyder just is not interested in yeah. exploring like his movies never feel like they're about the characters to a certain degree it feels like they're about setting up whatever the next like pretty shot's going to be
0: I don't know. Yeah, it's just, I, like I said, I have not seen the Zack Snyder's Justice League, but I've seen plenty of clips of it online. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to watch this film.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't say I'll play me there.
0: It's just like every, every clip I see is just, these are characters. Don't worry about what their backstory, like what their motives are. It's just, this is, this is who they are. Uh, anyway, back to the, the film. And it's like, oh, but they are the film. <laughs> the whole point is the justice thing.
1: And, and they'll stand around for a while and then they'll fight each other. And then eventually at the end, they'll fight someone else. And it's like, what? <laughs> it's not that's not really why anyone's watching a superhero team movie. They want to see the superheroes individually and together and fighting bad guys. I, I mean, like, give it a little bit of joy. It, it wouldn't kill
0: you. Like I, I, I really liked the Batman, the Matt Reeves one that came out oh, last, yeah. last year. I think was mm. it this year. I don't remember. Um, I think it was last year. Yeah. yeah. I've really enjoyed that one. But mm-hmm. again, it felt, and that's, and that's bleak while still feeling human. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like it's, that's a bleak movie and it doesn't even end on a particularly high note. Right. And, but it's like, Oh, this is still like, I've really enjoyed this film because it's done well. It's shot. Well, it's not all just like, everything's miserable. Everyone should be miserable. Anyway, look how cool I shot the scene. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that
1: that definitely is uh, somebody learned the right lessons from the stuff that inspired Zack Snyder and that he learned the wrong lessons. From. <laughs> like it's it's very much kind of um, it feels very much like somebody saw his stuff and was like, I can do that better, though. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me take a crack at it.
0: I'm excited that they're going to even with the whole DCU shakeup, uh, they're still continuing the Matt Reeves Batman and they have uh, the second Joker movie, Fallado or whatever it's called
1: oh yeah yeah i forgot about that one called?
0: too uh, i think it is folly Do yeah okay i got it right
1: because it's nice. uh lady as harley quinn right
0: yes which is, should be interesting. i'm very curious about how
1: that's gonna come out
0: apparently she's done well acting in other films she was good apparently in uh what's the movie she did with bradley cooper a star is oh born. a star is born yeah apparently yeah, she was i good still haven't it. watched
1: that version of a star is born
0: um she was in the uh, house of gucci i think I don't know that that film did oh, yeah. exceptionally well, but right. I didn't hear any complaints about her acting. She was, um, oh, she was in uh, American Horror Story as well, I think. Oh, really? I oh. think she, she was in one of the the seasons of that. The uh, I don't know. I've, I don't watch yeah, that. I made it really.
1: like two and a half seasons into that show and was like, I think I'm all right. I, I don't think I need
0: this. I watched the first season, uh, like three quarters of the way through and I gave up. Uh, I, yeah. my girlfriend gets mad because like, I will guess, I, I tell her this all the time. I'm like, I feel like a lot of, especially network TV shows are just poorly written to the point where it's not entertaining for me. Cause I can guess what's going to happen a lot of the time. Right. And so I sat there, we got through like three quarters. Of it, I'm like, let me take a shot at this. I'm like, <laughs> this person's going to die. This is what's going on. This is the backstory. And she's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't want to watch it anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah that that show especially to set up so many interesting things and then like Mm -hmm. like it had a lot of plates spinning and then it feels like it smashed every plate on the (laughs) ground over and over for the last four episodes she was watching like every
0: season one season of that it was like apocalypse or something and i'm Mm. i'm in the room while she's watching it and i'm just like what is good like that that also seems like a show where it's like let's just be creepy for the sake of being creepy not because it's interesting or creative right I'm just like, yeah,
1: it gets exploitive in that show too.
0: Yeah. Like the first season, yeah, I, I, I kind won't of complain about points. I didn't finish it, but it's right. like, I was like, all right, this is reasonable. You have like sort of ghosts or whatever going on here, mm-hmm. whatever. But then it, like, as it went on, like listening to her talk about the different season, then like half heartedly kind of glancing at it while she's watching, I'm just like, this is, this is stupid.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's kind of where I landed on it too, is like the, that second season, Asylum, where they set up, like, they set up Aliens. They set up uh, Demon Nun. They set up, like, a bunch of all these different interesting ideas. Mm-hmm. And I was like, boy, I can't wait until all these ideas come together. It's going to be really interesting how this resolves. And mm-hmm. then they just didn't. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, yeah, it, it oh comes I across thought this was going to be creative, like, though.
0: One of those shows where it's, like, they're just stroking their own ego. Like, yeah, look at this. Look how look how creepy we can be. Look how, look how yeah. weird this is. It's like, eh. Like I would rather something be wouldn't you creative Wouldn't you hate it if everything.
1: this if this character was actually evil and it was actually a bad serial yeah. killer? And I'm like, yeah, all right, fine. Can bring
0: back the gimp suit. Why?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really they really did just choose exactly their audience with that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just being like, this is what our vibe is. That's Get like ready.
0: that's like Netflix, like and I understand it's like curated to an extent like Netflix is so heavy handed with the like a uh, true crime murder mystery style shit that they pander to like yeah. women nowadays. So, like they know their audience sure. so well. <laughs> the- yeah.
1: Tr- true crime is an interesting one because it's a, like I, I used to listen to some true crime podcasts. So, like I used to engage with it, but there's, there just came a point where I did just find it too exploitive in that way. Mm-hmm. Like I understand that people engage with it, because it's catharsis. Like y- you want to think about these things. You want to kind of dwell in these things because you want to go like, Oh, if it happens to me now, I kind of know what to do. So like, I understand the appeal, but to me, it just felt so, it, it feels disrespectful to the victims in a way that I find kind of upsetting sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like any of these like shows about Dahmer or they any of these people. They, I,
0: that's the thing where it's like, it Oh, Dahmer's popular. Let's do five more things on him real quick while well, he's relevant.
1: Yeah. And people treat him like he's Freddy Krueger yeah, like or Jason Voorhees. And it's yeah. like, there's a huge difference in those types of people. Like mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger is fictional. If he was real, I would not enjoy Nightmare on Elm Street movies. <laughs> but that's, like, it those, seems like a horrible a scenario distinction. for everyone
0: involved. This is awful. Yes,
1: exactly. Yes. Uh. I don't want to think about like those kinds of people operating in the world because I'm sure they still are operating in the world mm-hmm. today. They're, they are among us.
0: Yeah. Like you said about it, taking advantage of like the victims. Like I remember reading, there's I, like specific cases, like uh, unsolved mysteries. My girlfriend watches a lot of that where I'm like, yeah. while she's watching, I'm like looking up information about like whatever the particular case is. I'm like, they have changed so much information in the process of making the show. It's like they, right. they have such an agenda of like, Oh, it could be this person. It could be this person. Like the show is so leading it's like, oh, they, yeah. I'm reading it. I'm like, this isn't even remotely close to what happened. Like the show is withholding important evidence that proves like it's almost definitely this person. They just don't have enough evidence to pin it on him. Whereas the show is like, it's right. so up in the air. Nobody knows. It's a mystery. Like one of them was like, right.
1: or or even the opposite where they're like, it's definitely this guy. And it's yeah. like, just because that's a good narrative, you're destroying exactly. a person's life. Yeah.
0: Like one of them was like, they actually found a bloody axe at the crime scene, but they didn't include it in the in the show because it it would have led an audience in a particular direction. It's like,
1: it's supposed to be a true crime
0: documentary show. Like,
1: right. But that's, people don't understand that documentary is still constructing narrative, like editing. Anytime you edit any footage, you are making a narrative just based on what you choose to show and how you choose to show it. Like that's, that is something that, that people, I think, need to have more media literacy about especially Mm. with true crime i feel like because you have things like making of a murderer where you go like oh this guy definitely did it it's like you can't you don't know (sighs) no one can know the actual unless they were a witness to it and witness testimony is incredibly unreliable Mm. like you have so many there's so many different factors It, it feels really gross to me sometimes to to kind of use it as, as grist for the mill to kind of feed yeah. it into a, a, a meat grinder and be like, here's the sloppy Joe that used to be like eight people's lives. Yeah.
0: Here it is. Enjoy. I like in a more general aspect to it, like it is a different style of it, but like documentaries on celebrities, like look at Britney Spears, like Michael Jackson, like I, sure. I won't get into like what they did or anything like that, but like public right. perception is absolutely changed in radical ways based on like what they see in these documentaries.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And it's like, oh, so like you could just like whoever's making this documentary is making it for a reason. Like they have some sort of reason why they want to make us. It's like they could lead an audience on to like think like, oh, Michael Jackson's actually a murderer if they really wanted to. And people be like, oh, I can't believe yeah, and, that. I never people, investigated this.
1: And people think that people think that they are like media literate and that they're smart consumers. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they still don't understand the stuff that is being shown to you was chosen to be shown, yeah. shown to you. Like Nobody it, makes no a documentary what,
0: without an agenda of some sort.
1: They're getting at something. They're constructing some narrative,
0: but they have a reason they're making. Yeah, it.
1: exactly. Because sometimes it's just like, oh, well, we we have this ten minute segment that's going on Dateline, mm-hmm. and we have we w- this segment's running two minutes short, so we got to put some more doubt in about who the killer is. Yeah. And it's like, well, that that impacts the case though like that impacts how people feel about this and how people feel about the killer and the victim, all of that. Like it's, it is something where I wonder if there will not be some kind of cultural reckoning eventually with how much uh, it is kind of everywhere. Like, I wonder if some, at some point there will be some movement of people going, Oh wait, true crime is like bad for us as a society. Like it's, it's not necessarily something that I think, but I'm curious to see if that will be somewhere society will eventually get to. Like, yeah. if, if we'll have that conversation eventually.
0: Especially watching as it's progressed, especially on Netflix, since they're not constrained by, like, the rules of cable television or whatever. It's, like, the graphic nature of a lot of it. I'm, like, this is, like, almost like snuff films at a certain point. Like right. It, it's bizarre. But yeah, like, even, like, you are saying, like, it's weird how people, just because it's in a documentary format, how people are so willing to accept it as fact. Like. Yeah. I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole here, but like you see it for like the elections, you see it for, mm. you know, murders, like mis- murder mystery or whatever, like true crime. I mean, you have it with, uh, what's, uh, Marilyn Monroe. They had that honor to film about her that came out. recently. Oh, blonde. Yes. Blonde. Yeah. That is almost entirely fictional. Right. It's based on a, a, a fictional novel about her and people are like, Oh man, she had it right. It's like, this isn't even remotely accurate. This is all made up. Right. <laughs> yeah exactly but just because it's based on a real person and it's portrayed as being like a like somewhat of a documentary it's like oh man this is this is her documentary her her biopic it's like no no they're just using her as a character in their made-up fantasy land that they're presenting to you as an audience
1: yeah and and it's you know to a degree perception is reality like Mm -hmm. people don't understand that a a lot of creators I think don't understand that the stuff that they are making is, is impacting people. Like it is the thing that exists when you create something and put it out into the world that will change minds, you know, people that encounter it will be changed by it. And that, while that isn't a bad thing or a good thing in and of itself. It's something you have to be aware of as a creator of, of anything, any kind of media whatsoever. You have to be very aware of, of potential downfalls of what you're putting across you know you have to be mm. aware of of what it is that you're saying and the way in which people will listen you know
0: another good example is the crown documenting the the royals in england
1: right yeah my,
0: my girlfriend loves that show i'm like this is making them out to be saints compared to how they actually are at times right like this completely Cause you're not
1: seeing yeah sorry go ahead
0: I was gonna say it completely glosses over like the genocide occurring in india and so I'm like,
1: that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. That's great. I'm like, it, yeah.
0: like they. it's like, oh, yeah, we went to India. You know, we made mistakes. It's like, you know, Charles went to India, gave a speech about how, yeah, you know, we've made mistakes, but we've led an industry in this country. It's like, you tortured and killed people here. Like you've wiped out yes, generations. And, and of used
1: them to make the industry. Yeah. I'm like, you pulled innocent human beings to, to make the, uh, the mills go, you know, but pe- it, it's,
0: People see it as it's like a political drama thing. and it's like, oh man, like, wow, right. what fascinating people. I've really invested in their lives now. It's like, like, like public perception, look at Queen Elizabeth, her public perception right. last however, like 10, 20 years or whatever. People were like, oh man, she's just a charming old lady. It's like,
1: she's a funny mascot for yeah. the evil empire.
0: It's like, man, when you look at the history of this family, though, it's like, holy shit, this is brutal.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But she's a yeah. funny old lady with, with puppies. So
1: and, and no one's going to, the people that you don't hear from are the victims, mm-hmm. you know, you no one's making a show about India right before the British arrive and yeah. show all the ways that, that Britain completely destroyed it.
0: Cause it's not interesting. Um, it's not as interesting for like a general audience. It's harder to stomach than look at these like yeah, royals. It's, it's
1: challenging. You no. Know? Cause it's much more challenging to go. Actually the idea of Royals is bad and these people are bad. Like mm-hmm. the reason that they're the famous ones is because they've done terrible, terrible things. Like, yeah. where do you think that wealth came from? It came from every country that they pillaged and, and <laughs> every person they killed. Like it, it didn't come from nowhere. They did this. They did it as an act of violence. Like we all know that we're just pretending like we don't because we can look at these people and go like, Oh, they're a mascot for the country.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But countries kill countries have guns. Countries have wars.
0: Yeah, but they're royalty, so it's it's fascinating. It's just interesting. They're cool. <laughs> they've people. got a little
1: crown.
0: Yeah. I mean, even like a more modern like part of it that I, I don't know that they've covered on the show, where it's like they when she passed, she passed down her portfolio of like uh real estate. And it's like that is land they just right. straight up stole. They just claimed it oh, yeah. and now they yes. they claim the money from it. It's like it's still going on. Like
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm like, don't. The, the system has not been broken. I'm like, why are they glorifying
0: deserts? people like this? It's like, God, oh, but they have a show and they're, they're Royals. It's like,
1: what? <laughs> and they have like billions upon billions and they're telling people in the UK to to turn their heating down over the winter, yeah. you know, so they save money. <laughs> like, it's just ridiculous.
0: I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating the way just documentaries and, and putting air quotes around that work. And, uh, as far as like
1: stuff that's supposedly telling true stories.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's entertainment over factual evidence and just twisting a narrative in the way it's like, Oh, it's more entertaining this way. It's easier to stomach because the characters are more likable this way. It's like, I thought this was supposed to be like a historical narrative. Like it was supposed to be right. piece on history. guess not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's definitely troubling to me that, um, Treating real world characters as characters in the narrative sense mm-hmm. always gets you into trouble in that way. And I feel yeah. like not enough people understand that, again, that same narrative crafting, you you have to do that. If you're going to make somebody a movie about somebody, they're the main character. You innately have an audience atta- uh, get attached to them mm-hmm. or you're doing a bad job as a storyteller. Yeah. And what that leads to is situations where your audiences are attaching themselves emotionally and psychologically to figures that should not be attached to. Mm-hmm you know, I I don't see, I don't think there's too much of a difference between stuff like the crown and a movie like American psycho really like the amount of damage done. I think Patrick Bateman has done a lot less damage
0: (laughs) than those people have done in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. A lot fewer deaths. (laughs) (laughs) And yet you're supposed to feel sick to your
1: stomach (laughs) with Patrick Bateman. And yet with the crown, you're supposed to be like, Oh, how nice these funny people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Look, the Indian people love them at this like plantation they formed <laughs> essentially. Like,
1: we paid them to show up. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: like, man, I don't think you understand what's happening here. <laughs> Ugh, that person no. is trying to keep their family alive by working for these people.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Ugh. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, we uh we ran over a bit here. We're about an hour over an hour and a half in. I don't know if there's anything else you want to touch on real quick.
1: Oh yeah, not, not so much. This has been a fun kind of conversation, awesome. but um I guess I guess just in wrapping up as general like show stuff uh, again. It's gray matter and acid horror anthology podcast. Yes. It's uh, original stories in the vein of Cronenberg and Carpenter and adaptations of uh, weird fiction stuff from authors like H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Allan Poe, Robert W. Chambers, Algernon Blackwood. Any people that were writing horror in the late 1800s, early 1900s will probably eventually show up. Um, as when this is out, we will have just released our uh, Christmas episode. So <laughs> nice. check that out. Uh, there's a new episode every month uh, going forward with the show. So uh, hop on. We've got about five episodes of the Christmas episode out now, and we will just keep making them as long as people keep
0: listening. Fantastic. And links will be in the description. So you guys can click on through, check out today. Thank you so much for coming on, man. I had a blast. Really a ton of fun. Oh yeah.
1: I had a great time. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. Thank you you go to digested productions. Got links to all of our stuff on there. Uh, still working on updating that. And obviously I got, pulled away from with some uh, family issues, but you know, we're still updating the the website in the back end, working on getting some, some fresh sponsors here. We last week was the first time I mentioned the sponsors. I don't know how many weeks on the show. I just <laughs> briefly ran down, <laughs> shouted them out. I was like, yeah, they haven't complained so far really. So whatever.
1: <laughs> well, that's the important thing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know,
0: we'll keep running with it like that. Uh, other than that, thank you so much everyone for listening. Thank you, John, for stopping by. I appreciate it. Thank you.